This is Jonah Hill, and you're listening to the only podcast that matters. gang we are joined by the sultan of ceremonies the pharaoh fusion he millie rock and eagle rock his partner carol got him going out on a limb call marissa <laughs> cooper because he runs the oc the only king of leon that matters baron of the bib he must be tired how he got these michelins going the head honcho of howard street real h is moving silence like umberto co-founder and co-creative director of opening ceremony former co-creative director of kenzo and co-founder of the Shifa restaurant here in la umberto leon umberto how are you <laughs> I'm really good. That was an amazing intro. <laughs> really good. Did I miss anything? I think you got it. It's all. a lot of credentials. Yeah. It really is. You didn't say, you know, created pink. Oh, so there's more. Talk your shit. <laughs> the Prince of Pink. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, anyways, yeah, a great intro. Great. Thank you. How are you doing? Yeah. I'm really good. What do you have for lunch today as a, as a food guy? I had a curried puff pastry. Oh, that sounds food. delicious. So good. Little hump day treat. Yes. <laughs> you did better than us. We just uh, swung by fat sals and grabbed sandwiches super fast. <laughs> That's great. Um, so we had 4,000 calories pumping through our blood yeah, right now. And, and now we need about 100 naps. Uh, <laughs> Umberto, thank you so much for hosting us in your office. The first thing we want to do, get right into it, is a fit check where you are going to walk us and the audience at home through the totality of your fit today. The choice for you is do you want to start top down or do you want to go bottom up? And there is a correct answer. Um, I will go top down. That is the wrong answer. Oh, really? But you can stick with that if you want. Yeah. But uh, it's a, it's a cop move. We're in your house. Like you, you make the rules. <laughs> yeah. I think top down is all like right. Look at things. All right. Okay. Oh, um, listen, go off. <laughs> um, starting okay. with the chapeau. Yeah. So I'm wearing a hat that's, uh, by diesel. Um, is it like contemporary diesel? Glenn Martin's diesel. Glenn Martin, new diesel, um, which I'm a big fan of. I did have a matching hat to my jacket. I know. I thought it was too much. Oh yeah. <laughs> for this. Yeah, well, it's never too much for throwing fits. I mean, I but know, I know you're a subdued guy. Um, I'm is, wearing oh, is sorry, diesel. Glenn Martin's like, is that one of the most exciting things happening in the fashion world right now? I mean, I'm just a fan of Glenn Martin's period. Okay. So I loved him at Y project. I love what he did at Gautier and, and now are you guys like friends personally? We are friends. Oh, cool. Yeah. Do you have the big Y project? Like the gigantic Uggs? <laughs> Like the thigh highs? No. Oh. <laughs> I wish I had those. Those are a grail. Well, they Gl- would match the coat, too. Yeah. I know. Well, Glenn, if you're listening, we know what to get him for Christmas. He, yeah, <laughs> he is. I'm a big fan. Um, so, yes, I'm wearing that. I'm wearing an opening ceremony polar fleece blazer. It is I have this, robust. Like, it's warm. Yeah, I have an affinity with polar fleece because I worked at Old Navy during the heyday of Old Navy. Wow. In the 90s. Uh, thank you for your service. You're welcome. <laughs> <And> Salute Rihanna. <laughs> part the, of the Navy. At the time, it was called Performance Fleece. Oh, that's right. Mm. Old Navy. And that we did a lot of campaigns. I remember the commercials. Yes. Does the world have Old Navy to thank for getting you into fashion and ultimately giving <laughs> us opening ceremony? Absolutely. Wow. Wow. Thank you, Old Navy. Yes. Yeah. Old Navy and Gap. Old Navy oh. and Gap. I, I was there for 10 years. So a long time. That's where you cut your teeth. That's the pedigree. That is since wow. I was 15. So, so you oh, got to you got you to respect the shop boys and shop girls mm-hmm. at the local mall stores because they could one day be running opening ceremony in Kenzo, you know? Totally agree. I started in West Covina, like way east from here, somewhere you would never visit. No, you're in LA. Even if I was shopping at Old Navy? No, you would not. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Old Navy, 
really got me to where I am. Today. So gigantic polar fleece blazer. Polar fleece blazer, which I feel like is a good, you know, two worlds colliding. Yeah. Cause it's 60 degrees in LA. So it's like winter. It is. It's really cold. It's unseasonably cold. It feels like. Right. And yeah. you came at the wrong time. No, absolutely. Well, not because <laughs> we're getting to hang out with you. dude. It's the right time. <laughs> um, so I'm wearing that. I'm wearing a um, Comme des Garcons vintage crop track jacket. Wow. What Around. year are we talking? Like 80s, early 90s. RCDG, does that stand for Roadman CDG? I think <laughs> so. um, this is true vintage. This is not like 2015. It's major vintage. Um, <laughs> I think it, I think the label says Caban de Robe, and that was like an old label that mm. they used to have. I do not think they make this anymore. This well, they, do, they have like 20 others that they, yeah, they right. They just to. replaced Hundreds it with something else. <laughs> Ray just forgot about it one day. She's like, wait, what? Yeah, exactly. About that one. Um, and then I'm wearing these vintage lee jeans um probably from the 90s oh wow um i got them in london on this Ooh. trip i went to the store and it was like all this um i'm really obsessed with these kind of levi's engineered jeans do you remember when that was a thing like with like is it a buckle back like it's or a buckle back but it's also a twisted leg mm. i'm convinced that in new york in the 90s there's this amazing label called as four and they did these pants that made you look like you were a centaur <laughs> Fire. so it gave so you kim kardashian like, <laughs> well, kind of i think pre all that but um it gave you the look like you were wearing yeah like almost like you're you look like kind of like, a, like you had a horse bottom like a non-invasive bbl yeah <laughs> yeah it was just a really interesting shape and I feel like at the time Levi's was inspired by that and came up with this whole kind of engineered gene back then. And there was a, a, I would say years, maybe five years where the Levi's engineered gene was a big thing. And it was basically ergonomic pants mm. before we really kind of. Right. Trebian just put out a curved hem gene um, and our mutual homie, Jesse Hudnut. Mm-hmm. is a big bridge, I feel like, between the opening ceremony and the throwing fits mm-hmm. worlds. Shout out Jesse. I mean, he's like the connective tissue with like everybody, He put us on right? email. That, yeah. I forgot that's how Jesse it happened. Jesse connects everybody. He's the best. Yeah. He knows. He's his own social media. The biggest nut. <laughs> his own biggest, net, he's his own network. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> the biggest nut of all. Jesse. Yes. <laughs> the fattest nut. <laughs> Jesse Hudnut. <laughs> and then I'm wearing these shoes um, that I designed in 2013. That, Which you did flex on me when I was yeah. like, wow, what are these boots? I You're know, like, they're mine. They're what a, Kenzo. What a great LA moment. <laughs> Um, at the time when I designed them in 2013, um, you know, I think my CEO said those are really ugly shoes. And, and I'm like, wow, are those like 2022 Balenciaga? Or they look or like Bottega, right? Till it's, this yeah. day, I'm like, you know what? They last, they, they last the test. You're never wrong. You're just early. And sometimes that's a problem. I yeah. think being early is, <laughs> yeah. Trust being me. early is a problem. Oh, so. yeah. I think in your intro, it was great, but there was some formers in there. Former. Yes. So you were early. There are some former. <laughs> what about the t-shirt underneath the track yeah. jacket? Oh, it's um a Uniqlo, mm. like, heat, I guess not air. What is it called? Airism. 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 Mm, nice. Keeps cool. Because <laughs> you're wearing a polar fleece <laughs> You have blazer. so many layers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I need uh, the opposing, yeah. opposing garments. You're not high, low. You're hot, cold. <laughs> <laughs> your whole heating Important. system, your whole yeah. HVAC Important. system. Katy yeah. Perry vibes. What are the socks though? Are you wearing socks with those stompers? I am. They're, oh, they're Uniqlo. Okay. Mm. And, the, and the panties, are the panties also Uniqlo? Actually, I have this crazy thing where I, 
like, I don't know why I don't get rid of any underwear. And I run into Gross. this underwear. I know. <laughs> you want us to cut this part out? Yeah. No, keep it You going. sure you want to admit to this? And I'm like, oh, weird. I was like, okay, underwear from like when I was like in my 20s. But <laughs> the fact that I could fit it, I'm like, oh, not a bad sign. Oh, yeah. I like that. So they're jockey underwear. A lot of memories I, attached to them, I'm sure, to yeah, each and every pair. Yeah. yeah. I'm a big three-pack kind of guy. Any three-pack. So yeah. I'm into a three-pack underwear. Nice. <laughs> I'm not into a singular $45 underwear. Or like the, or like the 24 pack at Costco yeah. or whatever. I'm going to down for that. Any <laughs> any pack, I'm down for Any it. multiple of three. Yes. He's a pack man. <laughs> I'm a pack. Yeah. He's a pack animal. Yes. <laughs> and I like people who I don't think would make underwear. Okay. Like I bought Reebok underwear recently. Oh. Like, we're not Sporty. going out, going to look for Reebok underwear. We, no, I, I don't think anyone in this room uh, is an MMA fighter, so <laughs> probably not. Yeah. What about, uh, I see some jewels, yeah. the earrings, obviously, but the little oh, the beads yeah. on the wrist. Okay. Okay. So um, I'm wearing a necklace that I've worn since birth. Wow. Um, oh, flex. In every school photo, every opening ceremony photo, every photo that I've ever taken in my life. I'm wearing this. Um, my mom gave it to me at birth. And then my sister, my, my entire family has this matching kind of beaded um, bracelet with... Your sister gave us the uh, most misplaced compliment ever. She's like, you guys are sound guys, right? Yeah. You're like, no, exactly. we don't no. know what the fuck we're doing. <laughs> no, we're not nerds. We're jocks, okay? We just talk shit. We don't know how to put it all together, okay? <laughs> but it has this little lion, and my sister says that you have to face the lion's ass towards you. Really? Why? For good luck? Because it's gold, and it's... It's supposed to shit gold on you. Oh. That lion be shitting. <laughs> shitting yeah. gold. That lion be shitting. What about the earrings? <laughs> earrings are my daughter's. Um, I stole them from them. They're what they got their ears pierced with. And one day there was an emergency at school. My daughter broke her earring. Oh, damn. So I had to bring the earring that I was wearing that I got pierced in. And so we swapped and I, I took her ear. It's kind of beautiful. Yeah, right. Full, That's like a metaphor for something, right? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'm always there to save the day. For my <laughs> all right. Uh, I believe that is a complete yes. fit check. Yeah. I think that's everything. It's everything. We yeah. got it all. Yeah. Umberto, you and Carol Lim founded Opening Ceremony in 2002 and you sold it in 2019, but you guys both stayed on as creative directors. Uh, but since the sale and since maybe moving to LA and, and kind of like taking maybe one foot out of the fashion world. What's the one thing in the fashion world that you're most happy to leave behind? <laughs> most happy to leave behind? I know there's so many to choose from. Right. Um, I think maybe people telling you what to make. <laughs> really? Yeah. You're, like, now, you're now in complete control of like what you just make, what you want to make. You know, I think a lot of people don't realize that in fashion, there's you know, once it becomes a business, it's always fun and really fun when it's, when you're broke, when it's less than a business. <laughs> right. And then once it becomes a business, you start to measure and you start to have people tell you what worked and what didn't mm. work. And I think that's when a lot of the magic starts to go away um, because it starts to become a business. Right. It's and a job. It's no longer yeah. a passion project. It's a job. But I think that, you know, I think at a point in time, you know, you know, I go back to like my days at The Gap. And when I started at The Gap, there were these amazing people with vision called merchants. Mm -hmm. and, and at The Gap and Old Navy at the time, they were incredible. And they would, you know, they would go and they would see like what Prada was doing. And then they would, you know, I think in my mind, if I had to guess and give you like an answer, Performance Fleece came from Prada. Oh, okay. So- like you know, Lena Rosa or whatever. Yeah, yeah. like they were, yeah. you know, this is like the the big 
Prada Sport Days. Right. Mm-hmm. And all these Prada samples were in the Gap Old Navy offices and performance fleece came out. Tech vests. Right. Came out. Yeah, like, yeah, the tech vests. Yeah. yeah. So these like nylon vests came out and they were really kind of looking and saying, okay, we're going to distill what's happening from luxury mm-hmm. and bring that into... There was a purity to this because right. you have to imagine pre-internet, right. pre-everything, peop- these people were pretty privied to either looking at, you know, these really kind of high-end magazines or the world wasn't looking at what right. Prada was showing online and, and on, the, <laughs> yeah. on the runway or, you know, what's coming straight off of the runway. Right. You but, literally, and you literally had to be there to mm-hmm. see it. You couldn't you browse on You had to be the there runway. or you had to buy these really kind of like cool magazines, you know, ID days. Right, you had yeah. to just be in the know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as a normal suburban kid, you're not buying that stuff. And you're right. just really kind of looking at whatever you're looking at. But you could fall in love with the tech vest when you go to the mall. Exactly. And you wouldn't know where it came from. So actually, I think it's funny because I think in The Devil Wears Prada, she talks about this like blue sweater. Mm. Where it comes oh, right. From. Sure. Yeah, you yeah. think you made that choice. Yeah. It was made for you. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And I think that it's interesting because um, I somehow I'm lost in our conversation. But I think <laughs> that. Um, <laughs> That's how you know the podcast is good, by yeah. the way. That's how we're going to keep you here until 5 p.m. Yeah. And so. Um, but yeah, so wait, what was the question again? Uh, what do you miss? <laughs> what do you miss? The, what do you? What were you most happy to leave behind? In oh, fashion? okay, yeah. okay. So there were these amazing merchants at the Gap and Old Navy, and you know, when I worked at, so then I got recruited to Burberry in two thousand, and this amazing, amazing merchant named Michelle. These people who just had a vision of like what amazing product people would want, mm. and I just honestly don't feel like I think. Now, kind of looking back at everything that I've worked on and everything that I've been, I feel like I haven't seen that type of merchant mastery um, since then. And I think it's the fact that I think a lot of people fell in love with what it meant to be a merchant Mm -hmm. and um, merchandising, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, as an art form, I think people, there became courses taught on yeah. what it meant to be merchant what, mm. what it's a merchandiser the romance was maybe lost in translation to some degree i just think it got it the the art of it mm. got taken away and so i have yet to come across and there's merchants who are my friends and you know i love them. i love you all <laughs> you're all great people but i don't know that <laughs> you're, you're i don't know that you're that magic that i once <laughs> right that i once admired merchant magic that you know first, because I, you first experienced west canova Los Angeles, or are we even in LA anymore with West Canova, wherever you're talking about? I don't West know. Covina. West Covina. Shout out, shout out the homie in West Covina. Yeah. I mean, you look at like, you know, I think, you know, there's a lot of like amazing kind of partnerships where Marc Jacob and his partner or Saint Laurent had a, a you know, see these people that paired up business and, and fashion and those were right. like magical moments. Of where once, it became a, once it became a business, the magic takes a backseat. I think there's a way to make it really interesting and i think there's a way i think you just have to take risks sure and i think as a merchant it's part of the bible of what you learned in merchant school mm-hmm. isn't the risks right no. it's how do you calculate how do you max how do you profits? how do you calculate what happened last year yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and i think oh, no. looking back at last year is the downfall mm. of where things go forward Got so it. in a nutshell the magic becomes math and then everybody's sad exactly i mean <laughs> fuck stem i don't think we're looking at what we bought last year and saying 
I'm going to rebuy that this yeah. year. Yeah. Well, we don't really buy much. We get a lot of it for free. So right. we don't really so care. But sponsors. <laughs> yeah. Glenn Martin's if you listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you guys just celebrated 20 years, two full decades of opening ceremony. What was your personal highlight from those two decades of OC? Big question. Damn. Um, personal highlights from 20 years of opening ceremony. I mean, I don't know. Is it like working with like <laughs> Chloe Seveny, Spike Jones, Maurizio Catalan, Yoko Ono, Riri. Um, Pendleton Esprit, mm-hmm. you know, Vans telling me that I started their women's business. Wow. Me discovering, you know, <laughs> discovering Havaianas at a, you know, that's grocery right. store in Brazil. And now it's an international it's business. Billion dollar business. Wow. From um, Brazil to the world. Yeah. I think just like all these kind of amazing and just like, I think all the cool people that we championed from the beginning, mm-hmm. J.W. Anderson, Jack and Moose, Marine Sayre, you know, you name it. All these designers who are like people, I mean, Glenn Martin, all these people that like I love and I love what they do and seeing their rise. Yeah. Um, and I mean, them. opening somebody was a, truly a platform mm-hmm. and like almost not an incubator, but like it allowed so many more people to discover these brands that you and Carol like scoured the world finding. Yeah, it was a discovery zone. Discovery <laughs> zone. Yeah. That's what it was. What was the low light? <laughs> what was the what? The, what was the low light of the last two decades? The low light of the last two decades. Um, I know you've stuffed it deep down into a little black box, but what? Let's pick at that. Yeah, yeah, let's uh, let's air out the trauma. Probably the store's closing. Oh uh, yeah, mm. I think like that. Um, that felt sucked. like. <laughs> uh like a time shift for yeah. i think for like, myself and like probably a line for, of demarcation yeah i think that like there was an opening ceremony store and then and i think everybody remembers that moment and then there's not the opening ceremony yeah. store howard street doesn't matter anymore yeah <laughs> i wouldn't say that to the real well, estate people the fashion shows and parties that you guys did were always way over the top grandiose affairs do you have a favorite opening ceremony fashion show you mentioned like some of the people you collaborate with on them I mean, I think my first show in 2012 was one of my, one of the, I mean, it's so hard to say. I'm about to, I'm just going to go down memory lane. Mm-hmm. But um, the first one we did was based on this kind of like Asian car culture that I grew up with um, in San Gabriel Valley. And mm-hmm. it's cool that I could point over here and it makes sense now. Is this the one that was like on the West side and like, it was on Rihanna, the West Rihanna side. Was there. Rihanna was there. Yeah, my invite was uh, maybe lost in the mail. Shut up and drive. <laughs> and um, there were, um, you know, it, it was on the pier. It was blacked out. And we had, we worked with this New Jersey guy who had a network of luxury cars. So it was every like luxury car you can imagine. And it was like parked behind this curtain. And all of a sudden the music came on and all the headlights came Sick. on. And the first thing you heard was Rihanna scream. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that was pretty iconic. That's crazy. And then all the models were in the car. The cars parked on the runway. And then one by one, the models were coming out of the car. And then at the end, when the last model walked the runway, there was like what we called the stormtrooper of like male models that came out and like did the thing. And it was super fun. It was like a collection that was based on this car culture and these like, um, you would kind of like fit your cars out, but they were like 
Toyota Corollas. Right. Like, yeah. like nothing. This that, is like Fast and the Furious. Yeah. Like type. Yeah, yeah. It would say like Mugen Power and it would be like um, all this like cool like car lingo, but just on your everyday yeah. car. So everyone listening should Google this. This is OC 2012. OC 2012. And I guess what I'm hearing is you always remember your first, right? That's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was it. an amazing first. I mean, I, Popped you know, cherry. Spike Jones and I have had a long history. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he and I have done a lot of firsts together. And so we did his first play and his first musical ever. First and only play, first and only musical. Um, one was on the stage of the Met and it was called Lost Cotton. And it was... He wrote this story. Um, it's kind of cool because I feel like he has this way of like predicting the future, like with her and how we're living through that now. Um, but don't he, talk about my girlfriend like that. What's that? Oh, sorry. Don't talk about my girlfriend like that. She's okay. here. She's in <laughs> yeah, there. She's right here. She's yeah. listening. <laughs> um, but so, um, yeah, it was his, the show was about Carol and I um, basically like, like opening ceremony was getting to a place where we were probably going to end it. So it was kind of a for interesting foreshadowing. Oh, so like, he saw the ending of the OC, at least the retail side. It? it wasn't an ending, but he wrote this fictionalized okay. story about she and I mm. kind of like, you know, I think it was about two people who like were really, really close and this fictionalized because Carol and I are still really close, but like coming really close. And then at some point, when the business is X, Y, and Z, we start to like pull apart. Drift. Was that um, awkward to be like, yeah, you're like, like, wait a Spike, second. What the fuck? Like, like, are we giving off these cursed vibes? <laughs> I mean, you know, Catherine Keener is playing Carol. I, Who played you? John yeah. Cameron Mitchell played wow. me. Wow. Okay. Bobby Cannavale played this, you know, a stylist <laughs> and, um, L Fanning and Drew Hemingway played models that were coming in for fittings. Um, Rashida Jones was like, you damn, know, what a, a cast. stage yeah, star studded. What the hell? Um, yeah, it was like a huge, incredible, incredible cast. And um, Spike Jones going for his EGOT. Yeah, right. <laughs> and um, it was cool because you entered the Met um, through the stage. And so the audience all sat on stage. And when the show opened, the whole play took place in the audience area oh that's so, cool oh that's right so the audience was like on yeah yeah i remember this it was kind of like yeah. a little flip yeah so it was cool um wow. so that was really cool and then we did a musical together that was with spike with spike and that was like one of my one of my absolute favorite shows that i've ever done we ran it because i always always like you put so much into a fashion show hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars and it's a 12 minute affair right yeah. and it comes and goes and yeah. it's 400 shows later, like, and I've always said anything I work on, I want people to look back and be like, fuck, I wish I was there. Mm. Like it had to have that. Like, I wish I was there. You want to inspire FOMO on a all time level. And I'm king of FOMO. So it needed to, (laughs) you needed to be there. Well, five years later, Lawrence and I still feel that way. Yeah. Right. Who are your PR? (laughs) But so we ran it. We ran that show for two weeks. Oh, shit. So that's kind of on us that we yeah. exactly. And um, we sold tickets first to students for $20, $15 to buy a ticket. And um, it sold out within like an hour. And it was all, so we sold it to all students in New York City. And it was cool. It was like, yeah. it was a his first ever musical. Um, he must have been stoked just as much as you, I'm sure. 
Yeah, it was, it was. That's a good collaboration is what everyone's excited, right? Well, I've always, I always work under this dream come true mentality. So at the end of this, tell me what you want um, and let's make it happen. Right. <laughs> it's a manifest. But I've always, that's always been like, as a collaborator, I've always asked people, I'm like, what would your dream scenario be? I want to make where the wild things are ex opening ceremony. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Um, but that was how I worked with Chloe. You know, that's how I worked with Yoko Ono. It was always like, what do you wish you did that you never have done before? Um, between all yourself and all your former collaborators and partner, Carol, Chloe, Rihanna, who has the swaggiest children? <laughs> the swaggiest what? The swaggiest children. Oh, children? Ah. Like, does your daughter get fucking fits off? Yeah. Who spends the most money on their kids is what he's asking. <laughs> Spending money? I'm no, not, I'm not asking. sure. <laughs> I'm not asking that. Uh, I mean, Chloe's son, is she's cool because she takes a lot, almost only hand-me-downs mm. from dual genders. So her kid dresses pretty rad. Fire. Um, Very progressive. Say, yeah. Um, who are your favorite, who, who are your favorite fashion people to party with? Cause like OC used to get after it. I'm yeah. sure. I'm sure you know it's dad life now, but I'm sure you maybe still you know have a have dad's yeah. gone wild night out here and there. <laughs> um, you know, I I honestly just like to hang out with friends. So I low think key, low key friends. I mean, it's it ranges from like my best friend from fifth grade. Her <laughs> name is Mimi. Mimi. Like I hang out with her all the time. Uh, or Bobby, my best friend from seventh grade. Carnavale. So, yeah. No, no. <laughs> or like Solange or, you know, people Ooh. who I've like, I've known for 20 years who I could just yeah. kind of talk about whatever. Mm. Like, so those are my it, favorite people to like. The day one with. homies. Yes. So day one is Solange. <laughs> yes. I mean, maybe day, I don't know, day tw- 28 yeah. years old. Yeah. That's somewhere. 30 somewhere years in old. there. <laughs> Well, at the opening ceremony stores, I mean, you guys are always known for surfacing and championing emerging brands. Like, are you still paying attention to the people and the brands that are bubbling up right now? I am. And I, uh, I, I look at it like, as if I still have opening ceremony, I'm mm. like, oh, like I would buy that or I buy Who, that. Who's catching your eye right now? Yeah. Put us on. I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> this but will how, be public what if information. I want to do a store one day. Oh, shit. <laughs> You're gatekeeping? Yeah, why am I going to tell you for it now? I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's so many. I think there's so many young. I mean, my favorite is really just these kind of brands that are doing stuff on Instagram and like, um, not. I'm less. I'm less concerned about like the shows that are like the runway shows right. that are happening and stuff. I feel like the business model needs to change. So I'm excited for people who are like selling directly to people um just off like only, off the f- only operating on ig yes or getting people's attention through ig and just kind of like like there's this really cool this brand called pronounce that i really like and i think they're based out of london or china i don't know they're <laughs> but they're cool it's a big range um <laughs> somewhere <laughs> i think it's a chinese person i don't know where he lives okay he or she lives i think they live in they london. live on your phone yeah right exactly <laughs> Um, like we all do <laughs> just like spike jones is her yeah yes um another yeah. great collab when you guys did the you did a capsule collection for her right we did we did i you Very know stylish like, movie. i was a part of the movie from the beginning like just kind of like cons- con- were you consulting on like on costumes or i mean i would say as a friend spike and i are constantly involved in every project that we work on for the last 15 years Amazing. is that how you got into jackass forever <laughs> 
That is. That's just a call. That's just a call. I had no idea I was going to be in the open. I didn't know I was going to be the first human that you were going to Right. That's right. I mean, I was definitely Leonardo DiCaprio in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Like, oh, it's Alberto. <laughs> and then I, Chris Pontius's penis. <laughs> you know what's amazing is my mom filmed it. That's my mom sitting across from me. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and... She didn't know what jackass was. What did she think? <laughs> Chris Pontius' his giant lizard penis. She <laughs> went to the premiere <laughs> with, and she was like wanting to invite all these friends. I was like, mom, I don't no. think you want your friends you there. Be careful what you wish for, yeah. mom. I was like, this is not, because she was in her, what, so she was in her for oh, like really? 10 seconds. She was the grocery, 10 seconds is long she was time. like the grocery store. She had a speaking line. She was in the grocery store with Joaquin as they were like, they're laughing and picking out fruits and all this stuff. And they were talking. Sick. And, you know, in her mind, she was like, oh, my God, people talk about her and how they saw yeah, me. Yeah, and this yeah, is yeah. going to be that same thing. And Spike won an Oscar. Yeah. <laughs> and so this was a very different situation. Was I mean, she shocked and appalled at what she ended up seeing? She, in her words, she said, disgusting. <laughs> Besides Spike Jones, who else has the range to have a part in both her and Jackass Forever? Exactly. Right? It's your mom's, true. Your mom's got your the mom's range. iconic, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's the Meryl Streep of Spike Jones, the Spike Jones universe. She's versatile. Yeah. She can do so many things. <laughs> um, real quick, pivoting away from opening ceremony, your time at Kenzo, right? You were co-creative director for seven years? Six or um, seven? Uh, two, uh, nine, 2012 to what? 19? 18? 19. Yeah. What was it like inside the, LV, the LVMH machine? Was it like... I mean, that was a huge operation. I mean, a, a different universe than the opening ceremony world that yeah. you came from, right? Yeah, but you know what? I was the same in that. I was just like a kid in a corporate office. And we were really rebellious and just, we kind of just did it our way. And I think it was cool because when we joined the comp the the business was just really unsuccessful yeah you know i think it was like not worth much and it was bleeding at the time and the fact that we went in there and within one season flipped those numbers around sure. i think they were like oh shit like keep doing what let's you're doing. let these kids just do what they're doing yeah and i really approached it as okay i'm a massive massive fan of fashion and i look at every campaign and I look at everything and I was like, I'm not going to do any of that. <laughs> and I was like, I'm, and you know, and I, I was like, we could have just gone that route and hired all those incredible um, makeup artists and photographers who I love, right. mm -hmm. you know, till this day, I love them all. But I was like, that's just not what I'm going to do. Right. Like I'm going to do something totally different. I'm going to use the marketing money and make things that, we can look back on in 20 years and be like, oh shit, remember that thing happened? Mm -hmm. And hopefully that's what happened. Lo and behold. I mean, one tiger tea. No, that flipped the script. Right. <laughs> didn't they didn't they not want you to make those? Was is that is that an anecdote that's true? Where so you got what, resistance and that became this huge like piece of the era. So what happened was my first show, first first show ever, um, I designed this collection and it was, you know, I worked with the people at Ellsworth Kelly's. Um, we made this really, I, I was really excited about this Ellsworth Kelly collection because I, I, Kenzo Takata was really inspired by art and I wanted to make this kind of modern mm -hmm. correlation of that. And, um, 
And I remember Jason Schwartzman did the music. He played the music. We did a David Byrne song. Spike, um, he like documented the entire process from us making the clothes to the show. So it was all friends. Chloe walked the show. It was like really fun. And I remember saying to them, hey, I want to make a Kenzo. I brought the word Paris back and they were like, why are you doing that? They're like, that's not modern. And I was like, dude, I was like, I want to know that this is a Parisian company. Right, like, right. You and I know that, but does everyone else know right, that? Totally. And they were like, it's passe to bring that word Paris back. And I was like, I don't care. So I was like, oh, I want to make like a logo sweatshirt. And they were like, it's promotional. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, that's called promotional. <laughs> like, you get that for free with right. perfume. Sure. Qu'est-ce que c'est merch? <laughs> and I was like, oh, I don't care. I was like, I want to make that. And yeah. so- I remember making it and, um, you know, classic Americana. It had like our prints in the, in the letters and it was kind of sewn on like a letterman jacket. And they were like, ah, yeah, make 20 of those. Like (laughs) no big deal. And I I wore one at the runway. That was like what I wore at the end of the runway. And I was like, we should put these in the line. They're like, no, 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 no. Let's, it's like, that's not fashion. And I was like, I don't care. I was like, we should put that in. And so it's funny because I think that, um, you know, and people bought the collection and people were excited. But that one sweater went bonkers. That sweater then started to like hit. And all of a sudden they were like, and that wasn't on the runway, but it was on me. Right. And I, I, Somehow I felt like I needed to use myself, even though I was, I'm not a model, but right. I knew that there'd be a photo of me. Sure. Yeah. Taking your bow. Yeah. That, that I had to use that in my favor. Yeah. And cause they wouldn't, you know, I knew at the time they wouldn't let me. Cause the only way I'd make it into like you the, the round fo- up You had to the force their hands. I had to force them to make so that we put that in and that started to sell. And people were like, wait, like we don't have a sweatshirt section on the form. And I was like, I don't care, figure it out. <laughs> and so they did. And we made that we sold, you know, it, it did well. And then the second season I made this sweater, this like really kind of cool intarsia tiger mm-hmm. sweater. And it was all inspired by interiors. I had Delfina del Therese, you know, who's the, the daughter of Fendi. She made all the jewelry for us and it was a whole jungle collection mm-hmm. really arcing back to the brand's history and, um, you know, we kind of made this like faux tiger rug sweater, um, really kind of going back to some of the, and there was a little tiger I remember inside. So Kenzo had really never used the tiger in a big way. Mm-hmm. It was just a little tiger on the inside of the pants. And I was like, let's make that a thing. And, um, so that was the beginning of it. And I remember thinking, I was like, how much is the sweater going to be? And they're like, ah, you know, it's in Tarja and there's embroidery and blah, blah, blah. They're like $900. <laughs> I was like, who the fuck is going to buy a $900 sweater? And they're like, yeah, yeah, you know, we're in a luxury brand. I was like, we got to make a sweatshirt version of that. And they're like, oh, no, no, no. Like, why? Like, we have the sweater. It's yeah. gorgeous. And I was like. The sweater, the sweater that they didn't want you to make. Yeah. Right. yeah. And they were like, no, no, no. We don't need that right. promotion. And I was like, <laughs> okay. So, I, you know, we forced them to make it. And then when we made it at the time. Marie Shea, who was my stylist, um, you know, she, she was, she really knew what was up. And so I remember we made all these pieces that felt very, I would say more elevated than anything that we had done even prior to this. 
but she paired these like really elaborate skirts with sweatshirts and people were like, is that cool? Like, is that the right thing? Yeah, a yeah, sweatshirt yeah, yeah. on the runway? Sure. And but this was the exact moment where it was like kind of high, high low, low runway yeah. and like marrying streetwear and luxury. So, I mean, you know, we're like ahead of that to some degree. At the time, yeah. streetwear wasn't in luxury. That right. was a passe thing. I mean, if you look at all the shows happening at that time, people were in luxury. They right. weren't trying to marry it. And so I remember putting it out and, you know, this, and then we shot with John Paul Good. So in my briefing, when I, we went to interview for Kenzo, they were like, what's your vision? And I was like, we're going to get John Paul Good to shoot the campaign. They're like, do you know him? And I was like, no, <laughs> but I'm going to call him. And they're like, okay. And so I tried to get him to shoot it the first season and he wasn't around. So the second season I met him and he it needed a courting. I needed, I went to coffee. I like hung out with him. You to woo him? Yeah. And he was like, I don't shoot fashion. He's like, I shoot perfume campaigns mm -hmm. and I shoot artists. He's like, I shoot what I can draw. So he's like, my issue with fashion is if I don't draw it the way you designed it, it's not going to be. Mm -hmm. And so we, we talked, we talked, we talked and he was like, okay. He's like, I have this X formation I really want to do. And so we shot the campaign with these two, a male and a female kind of like legs mm. in this X formation wearing. And I didn't say, let's put that sweatshirt in the campaign, but he was, he oh. really so was drawn to it. So we were all like, okay, what should we do? We put all these outfits together. And that really was like the thing that, that felt the strongest in the look. And it wasn't a look from the runway. We just made mm -hmm. this new look up. Right. Brand identity. And so, we, you know, we were all really excited about it. So we put it out there. And I mean, the minute that collection hit, I remember the stores calling me and they were like, so this, so we made the sweatshirts. They ordered like 50 of them. Oh, wow. Like worldwide. Right. And the sweaters, <laughs> they ordered like 300 of them worldwide. And they were gone in 24 hours. Before the store hit, even like before the collection had even come into stores, there was a crazy waiting list. Mm. And I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, there's a 300 person waiting list for that sweater. I was like in this one store. Right. Oh, so sure. they're like, every <laughs> store has this crazy waiting list. And I was like, that is so insane. Did you walk in the office the next day? Just like suck my fucking dick. Yeah. <laughs> we did it. You know, I'm a bit more. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, a little more professional. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and so, yeah. So that was kind of like, you know, I mean, that alone turned, you know, in the years, we, you know, we were Got heading towards out. a billion dollar company. Right. Damn. And like, Things were riding off of, and you know, I I created these icons. So it was the tiger, and then this eye thing came right after that, and the eyes were huge, and then we oh, did yeah, a perfume right. off of the eyes. So there were like just these kind of moments of these icons that we were just delivering. Did you stop getting internal resistance once you had proven success with like the sweatshirts and the the tigers and the eyes and everything, or was it still? Oh, was every season kind of like a battle where you had to like push your vision through? What have you done for me lately? And un until it became a success. Okay. Yeah. I think in year two or three, once they had something that they could really put their, sink their teeth into. Yeah. And now I have to give it to my, the CEO was like smart. Right. And he really leveraged how to like turn that into a business. Do you um, have this stuff? Like do you have, do you still have like um, pieces like, like in an archive or I have everything? Okay. I have all of it. What brands are most represented in your closet right now? Is it Kenzo and OC? <laughs> 
I mean, I have those in an archive. Okay. I wouldn't say that those are like. But right now, like, what are you wearing the most? I am wearing some. Oh, I wear a lot of vintage. Mm-hmm. So I have a lot. Clearly, a massive like Gautier vintage collection. So I wear that. Um, I've been buying like diesel stuff. I went to Italy and that was fun. Um, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm a, I love fashion. So yeah. I, I you love to shop, dude. I do. I You're do. But I, I buy a lot of non-brands. I lot. I go to like random stores in random countries and I just like shopping whatever. When you travel, do you go with like one giant empty bag? <laughs> I generally do. <laughs> I travel with a lot of empty bags. What's your favorite country to shop in outside Ooh. of the U.S.? Me hands down Japan. Yeah, yeah. right. Japan's like the, the number ultimate, one, ultimate, ultimate shopping place. Umberto, looking back. What has been the personal style phase you've gone through that now you cringe at the hardest? Oh, cringe? I mean, I really value every stage. Really? I do. Because they all like lead to the next one? It does. I would say right now, if I were to be like, uh, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm going to do that again. I would say (laughs) it's like, um, or as, I don't know, I, I kind of feel like I went through like a really big preppy Americana phase. When like, was, what, yeah, like, when? Like Band of Outsiders era? Mm. Probably in that time period that I appreciate. I don't know if I'll revisit. Right. What is this, like pop collar polos? Like, what are we talking about? <laughs> I'm not Ferris Bueller. <laughs> like, like, a, like, a, um, like a rep tie? Or? No, I think it was like, just like, yeah, really like, I think head to toe, like really kind of like Americana. Um I don't know. I mean, I would say that like it's like boring, or did you like you know jazz it up, or I just think it was like I don't know, maybe like a form of assimilating into something that I don't feel as damn. What was going on in your life then? I don't know. I mean, I kind of feel like you know, growing up in America as an immigrant, Mm -hmm. you feel this constant pressure and need to assimilate. And I'm in a very non-assimilation phase of my life right now. Good for you. Where, um, and it's been going on for a bit, but I just, and I, you know, even when I was at Kenzo, it was really going against assimilating. I was just really into, um, owning myself. Well, Kenzo Takata, that was his whole thing. He was a Japanese guy in Paris and he fucking went to the flea markets, right? Like he was. And I think a lot of my work was going against that grain of what I was feeling, um, living in Paris at the time. Oh, you were living in Paris while at the time. Yeah. At the time. Oh, wow. Sick. Uh, we mentioned Jesse Hudnut briefly, and for me, he's honestly like one of these guys that's maybe not like at putting himself out there as like a face or a guy, but he's somebody that for me personally um, is like super inspiring when it comes to personal style, even if I'm not like directly dressing like him. But are there real guys in your life? And again, maybe they're kind of behind the scenes or whatever who inspire your personal style. Yeah, my I would say like my dad and my uncle growing up mm. had fits that were like really kind of like I would say Asian gangster style and I like that (laughs) so that really inspired me and then I think back to what what, what was Asian gangster style describe that briefly like leather blazer um I love it no like a shirt with like button down to here really low with a chain um polyester pants (laughs) maybe like a man purse. Um, <laughs> what kind really of shoes? Kind of slick shoes, like okay. like leather boots of some sort. You're kind um, of describing Lawrence's style. Well, not today, but <laughs> in, b- back in New York. But I feel like yeah, there was this kind of like I'm an Asian gangster <laughs> <laughs> wannabe. Um, but yeah, so I think that 
has always really inspired me. So start, started at home. Started at home. And then I think back to um, like my high school years and just like all the way that the kids dressed. I think back to them, um, some that I'm really good friends with, some that I'm not. But I just think like, oh, shit, they had good outfits. And Shut I couldn't up. afford much at the time. Right. So the ones that could or the ones that put stuff together, I'm like, oh, they really did it legitimately. And I think back, I always think back to pre-internet right. or pre-iPhone, pre any of those things. Because to me, there's an authenticity to that that I, I can really pull imagery from. In right. Mind. Versus just people like mimicking what they see on yeah. their phone. I just think that there was, um, I think after the internet or after social media, I think that there was this meshing. It's kind of like music. Okay. Like I have the luxury of growing up without iTunes or anything. So, uh, pre iTunes. And so I was really into music and I would find music through, um, you know, I would like this artist and then I would go to the record store. You had to like, like dig in the crates. Yeah, I was like, oh, who yeah, do yeah. you like? Oh, there. And then this person is like, oh, if you like that, like you'll like sure. this. So I'm like finding stuff through that. And I think now you get to pick and you're like, oh, that that got sound, that got song sounds fun. And so does like Dua Lipa. And then also <laughs> so does, yeah. you know. Or like an algorithm is feeding you recommendations machine. anyway, right? Yeah. And it's playlist. this kind of amazing salad culture to music that I think is really mm. cool and interesting, but not as pure. Right. So I, I don't know. I live in this purity of, <laughs> of the way. I don't know. I believe that's called nostalgia, my friend. <laughs> it is, but it's also a, it's a purity that is like when I think about alternative music, there's a very strong idea of what that means. Um, and I think genres of music have blended in a mm -hmm. way that it didn't ever blend like that before. You know, like alternative music would rarely kind of twist it would be pop just because it like depeche mode like you would love right. depeche mode and they're they're pop because a lot of people liked it but they were always depeche mode right they didn't try to become a pop band you know what i mean no yeah, i get what yeah. you're saying okay so what's worse music snobs fashion snobs or food snobs oh uh, probably music i think music, <laughs> music snobs, the most snobs. Snobs. Pretty, like, when you're talking snobby. about like someone in a record store helping you out i'm like what record store where somebody helped you like other music speaking of, speaking uh, of gatekeeping right but now that you've delved into the food world like are food snobs like the constant thorn in your side pain in your ass actually all snobs are snobs i mean fashion <laughs> snobs are snobby they're all snobs they're yeah. they're all and we love them all equally <laughs> equally snobby is la a better food city than new york city Ooh, you're, you're going to piss someone off. I wouldn't whatever say, you say, I wouldn't say better. Okay. I would say different. Yeah. Um, better Mexican food. Yeah. Way better Mexican food. Or at least the good Mexican food is easily more easily accessible. Right. Yeah. Just on the, exactly. yeah, on the, there's, there's like more out, of outskirts it. of yeah. Queens and shit. There's more of it. Um, I mean, I think that there's just, yeah, I, I wouldn't say better. I think just different. And there's different concentrations there's more land so you right. get bigger concentrations of a type of cuisine do you have a favorite food city worldwide if you had to give it like you know last meal and you could travel anywhere like where are you or last couple a week's worth of meals where are we going i would say japan <laughs> tokyo okay. i mean yeah, yeah tokyo. i mean it could be tokyo it could be any of those i mean the cool thing about the prefectures in japan is that each one specializes in one thing right like shrimp 
shrimp, dried shrimp. And then you have this <laughs> whole the shrimp store. You go to the, like the train station. It's like shrimp cracker, everything, shrimp okay. cracker, ice cream, shrimp cracker, everything. And so Bubba like Gump, you're on notice. Yeah. So every area is specialized in one thing, which yeah. I find so Isn't interesting. Isn't that like the beauty of Japan where it's like that specialization on a level that is untouchable, right? Exactly. I mean, I think that goes back to that kind of music authenticity. <laughs> I keep talking about this, but yeah, it goes back to that thing. I, I think I like this purity. You got to open a record store. That's yeah, dude, right? Is that on I, don't know. I don't know if that's in the. Did I don't you guys know. ever sell? Didn't you sell records at OC? We did. Yeah. I mean, we, at the time, I remember like Kingdom will tell you, like, oh, he feels like him putting his CD at the store really kind of helped his career. He just recently told me that. And I was like, oh, really? Hmm. Um, but I remember like Solange launched her album and yeah, we were like right. pre launching it with her. It was cool. I mean, we just, we use that Damn, platform. It's like A&Rs. For anything. <laughs> we used it for so many different things. OC Records, baby. Yeah. Well, Shifa is, known, come true. Shifa is known for its fire cuisine. Uh, you guys got the Michelin Bib Gourmand. What's some shit? Uh, <laughs> but you're also known for like the creative endeavors in and around the whole like Shifa universe. You've done a bunch of collaborations. Do you have a dream collab that you'd want to do with Shifa? I mean, so many. Um, Speaking to existence. I know. Um, I mean, I think the idea of the collabs was always about bringing people in and creating a dish with them. Mm. That would be really fun. Like, I don't know, doing a dish with like LeBron James. Ooh. That would be kind of fun. Does he have good taste in food? What does what he, he eat? eat? I don't know. It doesn't, <laughs> sure be like it doesn't matter. Shit, right? yeah. like steamed broccoli. You're like, I'm going to sell them out. I'm that sounds cool. Yeah. LeBron, dude. <laughs> um, <laughs> or with like an artist. Or I don't know. I feel like it's always been just kind of like doing fun stuff with you know kind of unexpected people david right? hockney's full english breakfast yes. now available at shifa <laughs> um but it's always i think i've always i feel like what i realize in later in life is that all the things that i've worked on like if you look at think about opening ceremony i feel like what lasted longer than anything is the feeling you got when you visited or bought something there right and it lasts longer than the product. And if you could transfer that feeling to multiple things, I think that's where you get Chifa. That's where you get things that I I try to bring this kind of duality and multiplicity in all the things that I do and community and bringing people together to work on fun stuff together. Well, when you're uh, hitting the town with that community hmm. and having a night out, again, you're in dad, you're living dad life right now, but like when you've had a few too many. What's your go-to hangover meal? Um, I mean, I actually really rarely have one too many, but I'll <laughs> I'll fictionalize this a yes, little please. bit. Um, I would say a bowl of noodle soup. Ooh, yeah. And yeah. that could be a Chinese, like a duck noodle soup, duck and barbecue pork noodle soup, oh. or it could be a bowl of pho. Uh, it could be a menudo. I think any type of noodle soup will hit the spot. Is that also your go-to, like kind of just like comfy, like cozy meal? Yeah, it's the meal that I think I just feel like it's warmed me up. It's like going to make me it's good pull whatever threw me yeah, out right. of me. Um, <laughs> At least talks by injecting some more. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what about, okay, trends in the food world that you hope we leave behind in 2022? What are those? Speaking of someone on the front lines. In the trenches. Okay. Um, 
I feel like Sun-Dried Tomatoes trying to make a comeback and I'm just not down for it. Dude, no. I do not like them myself, man. Yeah. I'm just not. I, I feel like it was in the 90s and people are trying to bring Y2K back, 2000. You're telling me a son dried this tomato? Yes. <laughs> yes, I am. So I'm just, try, people, people try them with like baked Alaskas. It's like, no, like leave the 80s and the 80s, leave the 90s and 90s. Yeah. Also, um, this might upset some people. Go on. But, um, Hell yeah. You know that like italian i don't know the name of it the italian loaf that they send around christmas with like oh the fruit, fruit cake like uh i think of? we call it a fruit okay, cake. i think they call it something panna cotto no, not a what panna something but yeah, not which is italian for bread yeah <laughs> panna christmas but somebody was like ew, oh ew. like actually that's really cool and it has like, like fruit and nuts yeah in it, right Ugh. and i'm like no i don't want fruits or nuts in a bread yeah. it's like it lasts like eight weeks You're yeah like, this is, something's wrong with that yeah <laughs> so these are things stale. <laughs> these are things that i could i don't know that's a tradition i don't know if it should go away just well, not for me just Italian not for me. this is an anti-italian <laughs> sentiment dude no. what's going on we're actually an anti-italian podcast <laughs> umberto how much money do you make <laughs> very little oh really yeah you don't feel properly compensated for your hard work? <laughs> you know, I just don't think at this time in life, it's about the money. I well, think it's oh, about, okay. I just feel like in, you know, I'm in a phase in my life where I just want to do fun and cool things. I made a music video for this band called the Linda Lindas. And that was just out of purity and heart. And that was so fun and so cool. You're about collaborating with friends. I just want to make inspire you. cool yeah. shit. And then what I'm hearing is the band didn't pay you. Yeah. I mean, I'm just saying, I mean, I would think they, I think, you know, no one paid anybody. Yeah, right. Let's Clearly. just put it that way. Like, I think when you look at a video, you generally just realize yeah. no one got right. paid. Well, when some money does find its way into your pockets, what do you like to spend your hard-earned money on? Is everything just reinvesting back into the business? Is it like your daughter spoil, giving her I mean, definitely. Life? Yeah, definitely. But, you know, I also want them to like, learn like how hard it is to make money but um you know i like to eat food i feel like you know we're only in this world for so long and um i think it's it's nice to really kind of eat good food that's good for you can you tell us real quick your your go-to like your must hit la spots just, since we're only in town just for like one, a few days excluding chief obviously oh man um must go to food places or just even just the number one if you have a number one like if I told you tonight we had a reservation at horses, are you going to scoff or are you going to be impressed? No, it's del that's delicious. Okay. Um, I don't. Uh, <laughs> I just wanted to get that on record. We got a reservation. Uh, <laughs> you better confirm they're going to be mad. Oh at no! You. Oh, I, I confirmed yesterday. And if you friend. change, if you change any people in there, they'll be mad at you. <laughs> if you're like show up with two and you had a reservation yeah. before, we'll no. you'll get dirty looks horses. the whole time. No. Just um, yeah, are there any like hole in the wall spots that like again, if you want to gatekeep them? You're gonna gatekeep. I know. Them. I generally don't like revealing any of these things. You're perfect for podcasting. I know. Uh, <laughs> we are on the most listened to fashion podcast. In yeah. The world. There is a um. There is a place called the Corner Place that serves this really special cold noodle Korean noodle dish. Mm. Um. That's a cucumber based cold noodle cucumber sounds dish. great we're hitting it's, that it's delicious really okay. delicious and that's the one dish that they're really known for there okay, okay. umberto last money question what loses more money fashion or food <laughs> uh i don't think f you don't lose money in food you really gain, you that's gain not happiness you just you don't make money yeah <laughs> um oh you mean in terms of like working business. And yeah, business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. i think if you're smart i mean you met my sister my sister's a very smart gal so she's 
I think it's about having the right people that could show the passion, but could also manage the business because they're they're hand in hand. Is that how the you guys split the workload? Is like you're the creative, she's like the business. She is, yeah. Your head's in the clouds. Her head's in the books, <laughs> making sure exactly. that it's by the book. And I think fashion, you know, I think at some point in time, you know, people were like, let's change the system. I think if you change the system, I think it could be good. But I think in the in a system that is the way we know it today. It's it's a hard place. It's a bit antiquated for sure, which is like all those brands you were, you were shouting out or the brand you shout out that's like making exciting things happening on happen on IG, just DTC. Like that's is that not the future? Yeah. I and mean, where things I'm are in going. The DTC. I think it's just I think as a consumer, it's just, you know, when you talk about like transparency and just mm-hmm. really wanting to support, I feel like it there's a more genuine, you know, um reach from that. Sure. Absolutely. And like not just direct sales, but like a more direct, potentially direct connection. Yeah. Direct connection. And and I think there's, and I think there's more of a freedom of creating something interesting. You know, I think when you're wholesaling, you're being dictated. There's a a layer of dictation from those wholesalers that you have to get through. You know, when I talk about that middle layer. So I think removing that middle layer is interesting. Don't make this sweatshirt. Wait, make more of this sweatshirt. Cutting out the middleman, literally. Yes. Um, Umberto, it is time to get into the third and final topic of this podcast, which is Sucking and fucking. Meats and cheeks. So sex and dating. For all the aspiring sex (laughs) havers who are listening right now, what's the best meal to cook for that special third date when you invite your partner back to the crib and you really want to impress them, but you don't want to get too gassy and you want to fuck later that night? (laughs) Man. Um, Shoot. Well, don't make a salad. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you need carbo. Yeah, right? (laughs) Hopefully you're about to run a marathon. (laughs) Oxtail soup. (laughs) Really? Really? No way. I don't know. Um, is this risen Cold and vegetarian? I mean, I'm no big, dietary restrictions. No dietary restrictions. Yeah. I would say an oxtail soup. Oxtail soup? Oxtail soup? Someone is going to do this and they're going to get laid off that recommendation without a doubt. Or laid off gonna, or laid? Both. Laid. Oh, laid. Okay, okay. Both. Laid based on. Oh, I see. I see. I see. Yeah. Or the, <laughs> I was like, laid. They, they brought oxtail soup to the office, sticking up the whole fucking place. <laughs> I hope you brought enough to share with the whole class. <laughs> All right, so make some oxtail soup and you might get lucky. That is that's abs- my that's that is, my recommendation. That is it's absurd advice. It's rich. It's it's nutritious. Um, but if it goes, if you have a poor uh, constitution, you might have some fucking diarrhea oh man which could you know what night. if you can't handle it then meat is falling off meat. all types of bones that night i'll tell you yeah. that much. if you can't handle the oxtail soup get the fuck out the kitchen yeah exactly <laughs> and you, if you're scoffing it then maybe that's not the right date Ooh, good point okay are you nice in the kitchen yourself yeah what's your good. go-to dish that you make at home oh i mean my mom taught me to cook a lot of her signature dishes so yeah. like a caramelized spare rib Ooh. Um, we do this kind of like steamed egg with pork in it. Um, Bro. Cooking. Ve- I need the invite, dude. This sounds <laughs> yeah. awesome. Cooking a really well seasoned vegetable. I think that's key because there's nobody likes a bland vegetable. Right. And, and a, like a, a rare skill. Yeah. You know, I think where people just key. don't put the time and focus into the veggies on the side, you know? It's about blanching. Mm. I'll give you the secret. I normally don't give this. It's about blanching. You it's all blanch. about blanching. Blanch your shit. Exactly. Blanch boys in the building tonight. 
Umberto, we got to thank you. Yeah, for thanks, out buddy. To the only podcast that matters. You're obviously just a legend um, in the game, fashion, food, and ostensibly music. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, we would love to offer up our constructive criticisms that you could do even better, okay, if possible. Yeah, me. Um, take it or leave it. How just take it? Uh, I'll go first. Um, have Chifa cater the party that we're throwing at the Mohawk General Store later this week. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Bring some of those uh, those caramelized ribs you were saying. And like the, yeah. bring 24 some hours veggies. of notice. Is that Interesting. enough? Interesting. Yeah. I'll, let's talk about the budget after this. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, another thing that we might have to talk about uh, when it comes to budget, James and I are in the process of working on our own cut and sew clothing line, but we are absent a creative director. I don't know if we can afford you, but <laughs> if you want to take on some more shit, Add to that plate of blanched veggies and spare ribs. Right. Sounds fun. You know, let's <laughs> talk after. This. Let's expand that resume. <laughs> I don't know if Polar Fleece blazers are like yeah. in the repertoire just yet. Maybe just like some regular. We got to build up to it. You know, <laughs> but we'll get there. Yeah. All right. We'll get to the Polar Fleece blazers. It's one too day. soon. In yeah. Five years, you're gonna be like, "Fuck, fuck. we should have made those." He was polar right. Well, we'll be dead in five years, but in four <laughs> years, we might be like, "Damn, I think he was right." Yeah. As we're being as we're being felled by our op swords, we'll be like, "Oh, Umberto was right." Yeah. <laughs> Umberto, thank you again for coming on to the only podcast matters. Where can the kids follow you? Is there anything you want to plug? The floor is yours. What sir. are your socials? Just, um, I mean, at Umberto. And um, we are opening a new restaurant in a <gasps> month. That's the secret that's being let out. Breaking oh, news. First to hear it. When does this pod come out? Yeah, when uh, does this come out? It might be open. It might be open. So do you want to work? Mid, Mid-January? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It'll open on January 13th. Oh, Let's wow. Look at that. Oh. Perfect timing. Is it going to be part of the chief? Is it Chifa 2, son of Chifa? What it's called the Monarch. Ooh. And Regal. It's meant to feel like the idea is that everyone who walks in should feel like a deity. And mm, I love it. Um, there's no reason why we should have our best meal in the afterlife. Oh. So it's it's. That's the inspiration for this. Space. How thoughtful. What cuisine we we talking? Um, Hong Kong style cuisine. Okay. Oh, fire. Is we'll it be in there? Evil we'll be there. It's in Arcadia. Arcadia. Where's that? <laughs> it's about 15 minutes from here. Okay. Um, Lana Del Rey sang a song about oh, Arcadia. Oh, that's right. There's Look, a tunnel Arcadia. underneath Ocean Boulevard. Did you know that? <laughs> no, I didn't. Know that. <laughs> I don't know. That's the name of her new song. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Umberto. Thank you again for coming on to the only podcast. No matter, Chef, take us out. Yes.